Shepherdess at Harmony Farms here, where we encourage you to think big, start small, and don't quit. Today is part two of the Luke Gross of Gross Family Farm interview. We dive a little bit deeper into some of the logistics that go into his farming operation, who he employs, how he gets all of the work done, how he distributes his food, how he gets his food processed. So if you are interested in that kind of information, this is the episode for you. He also talks upfront about the role of his website in his marketing and his sales. So guys, I have created a 10 steps to site launch worksheet that I want to give you for absolute free. Check out the show notes for that. Enjoy the episode and thank you once again for listening. first timer, somebody totally new getting into what marketing channel or what sales channel should they attack first? Or should they do a broad sweep farmers markets, websites all at once? I would put a website up pretty quickly, try to make it so that people can find you through Google searches, do all those things. I wouldn't delay on any of that. I think farmers markets are a great gateway into finding people who are going to buy your stuff, but it's super not scalable in terms of being a way to find customers. I mean, let's just say I can sell a thousand dollars worth of meat at a farmer's market. That's pretty good. It, it's fine. But if we're growing a farm from like a $50,000 revenue a year farm to a $300,000 a year revenue farm, if you're selling only farmer's markets, you're talking about going from once a week farmer's markets to six times a week farmer's markets, and then you have no time to farm. It's not scalable in that sense, in the way that a website or a CSA delivery program can be. Me and one delivery driver can, can pretty much distribute 120 CSA shares over two days with him working two days and me working half a day. So, you know, th things like this can be more scalable and you got to think about how is this going to work now and in the future. But I think a farmer's market's great if you are collecting email addresses and handing out flyers for ways people can get connected. And if it's not a year-round farmer's market, buy in the off-season or just continue to buy from you through venues that work well for them and for you, they can buy more things. So I think farmer's markets are good for getting started, but we need an exit strategy there if you're trying to, to grow this thing. If the website, try to start selling there and pushing people there and collecting emails. Social media, I think it's it's a shallow pool, but it's also one that has some fish in it. That's what I always say because I, I see a lot of volatility on social media. It's a necessary evil in a lot of senses. Be there, but don't be at its mercy in in essence. Yeah, be there. You're going to take pictures of things you think are cool, put them on there, but don't bet the farm on their algorithm and their willingness to let meat be sold on their on their platform. Don't bet the farm on their algorithm. I think that's a really important principle. Newsletter list. Do you guys work it? Our newsletter list, as much as I say that it's important and valuable, we're not sending out regular emails the way we should. We've got a couple thousand people that are on the list. A lot of them are sort of a dead weight emails from 10 years ago. We focus a lot of effort on communicating with the CSA members and the LAPS members we're, we're encouraging to resubscribe. We probably spend more time emailing them. I might send 10 emails to those two groups before I send one to the broader mass email list. But you feel like it's an important cog in the wheel. Yeah, I think I think it's really good. You know, sales usually come from it when we put out a, an email. So you mentioned that farmers markets are not as scalable as a website. So basically with the human resource that you're working with, your website sort of acts as a second employee, really. 
yeah. the way that it draws customers in. Yeah, um, I mean, people definitely find us just by Googling us or clicking through from some social media posts or punching in the, the URL on a, on a flyer if we pan it out at the farmer's market. But yeah, the website does a whole lot of work answering questions people have, funneling them towards the purchase, letting them know things about how we raise animals, letting them catch a vision for what beautiful agriculture and a pastoral environment can look like and good food and good recipes, stuff like that. It does it does a lot of, lot of work for us, for sure. We, we put a lot of work into putting that there, but it, it's very well worthwhile, for sure. You are full-time. What is your human resource like? Are you a one-man show? I know you have three sons, but they're not quite working age yet. Our oldest three are two boys and a girl. They do help out some on things like chicken loading or um, on Saturdays when I'm at the farmer's market, they'll either help me at the market or help their mom with chores, trying to help them grow in their capacity to be people who are, are useful and helpful. But to answer your question, we have a one on-farm worker. He's almost full-time during this season and then kind of part-time in the wintertime. He helps us with doing basically a lion's share of the chores each morning and then helping us move projects forward around the farm. He's now working here for about three years and just kind of increased his his amount of time, his compensation over that time. And he was like um, a 16-year-old homeschooler who really liked Justin Broad's YouTube videos and wanted to check out what we were doing and kind of came and volunteered. And then my back went out and we offered him a job. That's been really important. And that's kind of our one employee. I think I mentioned earlier, we have a um, essentially a, a contract grower who raises birds out on pasture that we brooded and we'll take to the butcher later. And we work on a system with him. He accepts some risk. He owns the land and, and the infrastructure. Um, we just own the birds and the feed. And so that's another way that we <clears throat> we access some someone else's labor. And then the other things are we hire a contract livestock hauler. Before we did that, I was just, I felt like I was a full-time truck driver. I'd be hauling chickens three hours this way, coming back, going back to pick up the crates and the meat. Another, it's another full day just do that. I would do that a dozen times a year. Now we have more chicken batches. Plus we've got another chicken butcher we use for different stuff. And then there's three pig butchers and a, and a beef butcher, et cetera, et cetera. So it would be like, and that's not even the delivery schedule of delivering to restaurants in town and stuff like that. So that was all on me until we got the uh, contract livestock hauler, which we, we use, especially on our biggest chicken batches. And then we use them sometimes for for other things too. And then uh, in addition, we also have the retail delivery driver who delivers um, home deliveries. And he now does between 50 and 70 uh, over a two day span once a month. We basically charge $10 for delivery and we pay him a portion of that. And then I just kind of take the rest for managing the whole system. That is everybody we have in the many different ways we access the other people's labor, uh, one employee and, and three contractors. Yeah. So it's more a matter of contracting and finding people to fit the um, livestock haulers. Are they professional or just a con just a person who's good at driving? You know, you can find every, every kind of thing. There's some Amish neighbors of mine who have told me about people they hire. There's this one guy who I called when I, when I couldn't get a hold of my regular guy. I set everything up for him to, to haul like 1200 chickens for me. And he's like, just so you know, I'm a grave digger by trade. And if, if somebody dies, I won't be there. <laughs> it's like, We'll put you on the backup list. <laughs> this doesn't sound like a permanent solution to me because I don't really want to just hope nobody dies in Pekin, Indiana. That's not a good business strategy. But we have a guy who does hauling professionally. He's got a 32-foot gooseneck 
livestock trailer. I have a 16 foot and do much hauling in that. In addition to that, he also got as a flatbed and he can take um, 1200 chickens down the road, no problem. It's good when I'm busy or when I, my, my trailer just can't handle it. And instead of me taking two trips, I just pay him to take one trip and you know he's fully insured and he does a good job. And, and there's people out there, you can find them on Craigslist or, or Facebook Marketplace, just look up hauling services. What's your processing situation like? I'm hearing you talk of different ones for different species. What's your radius that you will go and travel for a processor? It's it's widened as, as you know, butcher dates have been more scarce. The, the furthest we've traveled to get an animal process has been a four hour drive. We have two chicken butchers now, one in Ohio, King and Sons. We use a Western Kentucky chicken processor that's about three hours away. And those are long trips. But one of the reasons we started doing bigger batches was just, was just to make sure those trips were being maximized as much as possible. We have three different pork butchers We'll, we'll kind of get a beef date in wherever we can. How close are you to a metro area and how important would you say that is for a market farmer? I think it's it's super valuable and I would be willing to, I'd, I'd much rather drive three hours to market stuff to a mid-sized city than try to make a living on a small town, like selling to folks in a small town exclusively as a general rule. But we are less than an hour from Louisville Metro area, which is about three quarters of a million people. We've sold very, very little meat to anybody outside that area. And usually when we have, they're coming to us or to Louisville to pick it up, which is kind of incredible. People from two or three hours away have, have driven to to get our meat. And uh, we're, we're thankful for that. Some great customers. So I was talking to Joel Salatin and he said he tries to maintain a 30% margin on his farm products. Are you guys able to do that for yours as well? Yeah, certainly on retail stuff. When we're selling stuff to restaurants, we would probably hit about that in terms of like cost of goods sold. Might be right above that on across the board in terms of our, our wholesale sales. So that's pretty good. We ought to be as market farmers aiming for that. If we dip below, we ought to probably check our balances. I think it's a good good general rule, but I mean, you, we all of our farms are so different in what our goals are. Um, but yeah, if, if you've got a much bigger farm than mine, you might um, you know, be able to run thinner margins and, yeah. and make it work. That was another principle. He said, you know, if you're running higher volume, you can do the lower margins. All right. Well, I think I've got some golden stuff here. And I am so grateful you worked this out. You mentioned your podcast, and I have actually listened to it. So give it a shout out because there's some good content there. I've put out about 22 episodes. It's called the Pasture Raised Podcast. I just like interviewing farmers who do livestock agriculture for, for a living, who are doing an exemplary job of it. And I've got a lot of friends who, who fit that description and, and some people who I want to be friends with. It's a good chance to, to kind of hang out and talk to them. You know, there's, there's some great podcasts out there that kind of get into the homesteading aspect or a lot of the production things, but not so much the business things. I really want to do both, but also I want it to be like a farmer to farmer kind of experience where it's the questions that, you know, someone who is like, you know, let's say they're, they're three to five plus years into their farming journey, the kinds of questions that person wants to ask of someone who just really knows what they're doing. Yeah. Perfect. And where can they find you on the internet? Search Pasture-Raised Podcast. You can find us at grossfamilyfarm.com, G-R-O-C-E, familyfarm.com, or Gross Family Farm on Instagram or Facebook. You can email me, info at grossfamilyfarm.com, and I usually write back pretty reliably. All right. Well, thank you, sir, so very much for your time. I appreciate this very much. 
So guys, thank you once again for listening to this episode of The Shepherdess Podcast. I hope it has encouraged you. And guys, if you would like more content surrounding regenerative farming for profit, please visit www.harmonyfarms.blog. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter there. And I look forward to talking to you in the next episode. <laughs>